Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Clam comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Woke AF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording once again from the Brooklyn Solarium. Folks, it is with such deep sadness that as I make my return to Woke AF daily after taking a a week off for vacation, that we are just in the midst of another disaster. And sadly, you know, following this horrific, horrific, extreme climate event that took place in Kentucky, Mississippi, across so many states, we continue to refer to these environmental disasters as natural disasters, when in fact there's nothing natural about what is transpiring to our climate. I was really upset the other day while I was watching cable news and listening to the FEMA director, uh, Deanne Griswell, I believe is her name. Yes, Deanne Griswell. And when she was asked by a host of a cable news show whether or not she felt that what transpired across these Midwestern states was related to climate change, her response was, I don't know. But what I do know is that these events are becoming much more extreme and much more frequent. I was really angered by the response that she provided because we have allowed the radical right to politicize every goddamn thing that makes sense, from the truth to science to healthcare to everything in between. So much so that what is normal, a normal response would be, yes, this is related to climate change. How else could you understand and wrap your mind around, again, a once in a century storm, right? How many times have we heard that over the past couple of years? Oh, it's a once in a century storm. It's a once in a century hurricane. It's a once in a century tornado, except it's not once. 
It's happening every single season. And now outside of the normal tornado season in December, we're seeing a catastrophe, a catastrophic environmental event that so far has claimed the lives of 67 people in one state, 74 across the states that have been affected, and over 100 people still missing, right? We can no longer pretend that this is just God's will, right? God's will is not for us to be cloaked in ignorance about how we are effectively, rapidly changing our climate. You know, I can remember, I was having this conversation the other day. Do you remember an inconvenient truth, right? Well, Al Gore put up the documentary video about how we were going to be affecting our climate. That video, let me, let, let, let's just double check here because I believe that an inconvenient truth, right? Came out, dear friends, um, in 2006, 2006, Al Gore was one of the only people most famous, I would say at that time that transcended the climate field to be talking about what we are doing to destroy our environment. And the thing that pisses me off, just like what we saw in terms of the vaccine rollout and how wealthier high income nations are not doing their fair share to contribute to and to support the lower income nations that they have had no problem over generations extracting from, right? And so we have Omicron, right? Our latest variants because of vaccine, what? Hoarding? I don't even know what you call it. Vaccine greed, right? Where we didn't do what was necessary in order to help lower income nations that were asking, right? Asking for the TRIPS waiver so that they could create and manufacture their own and not wait on the supposed benevolence of higher income nations. Well, here's the same thing with climate change. We know that it is the higher income, more industrialized nations that have moved us into this place right? And yet it will be the lower income, smaller nations that are situated in the Caribbean, that are situated on coasts, right? That are situated in areas where they were going to experience severe drought, severe flooding, right? We were seeing this happen in a high income nation in Germany, right? With their massive flooding that happened, that wiped out an entire fucking town. And so my question is, how much more do we need to see before this nation, this world wakes the fuck up, right? We keep convening the G7. We keep having these, you know, oh, Biden, one of his first announcements was we're re-engaging with the Paris uh, Agreement. Well, that's great, except what we have seen since the initial signing of that agreement is even more deadly climate events. Think to 2020. We lost a billion animals on this planet in the, in Australia. Do you even remember that? Every fire season now is lasting longer and burning much more ground. So now we have tornadoes that are spanning across multiple states. 
If you just think about this from an economic perspective, right? If you could care less about the loss of life, the fact that in Kentucky, Governor Andy Bashir, damn near in tears, said that we have lost people from as young as five months old to as old as 86 thus far, and that they won't know the extent of the fatalities for weeks. Because if you look at the fucking area that was hit head on, it looks like a bunch of matchsticks that were knocked over, right? That were built up and then just flattened. And I can't believe as we see these pictures that these were homes, these were schools, these were libraries, right? Whole fucking towns wiped out. And so when you're directly asked, right, as the director of federal emergency response, do you think that these climate events are being caused by our lack of, of urgency around tackling climate change? And you say, I don't know. Well, then you are being intellectually fucking dishonest. And folks can say to me, well, it's not her job. Well, whose fucking job is it? Because it seems not to be the president of the United States' job. It seems not to be Congress's job, right? Because once again, you've allowed the loudest, most ignorant voices to be able to dictate the narrative around what it is that we need to do in order to prevent these disasters. This country is going to go fucking bankrupt every season right? Hurricane season to tornado season to fire season. And then at some point, folks, they're just going to all blur together, right? Where they're just going to be popping up much like this tornado that is outside of the regular season in December when we're not able to prepare. We know that this is happening. We are seeing it right now. I came back from my holiday and I'm looking at the weather in New York, you know, waiting, you know, assuming that, uh, you know, I would be returning back to freezing temperatures because it's December. No, this whole fucking upcoming week is going to be in the high fifties and on some days, 60 degrees. It's December. We're in the middle of the month. We are days away from the Christmas holiday. And it was 60 degrees over the weekend. Now, folks can say, well, you know, you might as well enjoy it. But I want you to think about the chain reaction that happens, right? So you have these warmer climates, right? This warmer weather. So then you have insects, right? That would normally die off for the winter months that are persisting, right? which then produce infection, right? Carry disease, you know, West Nile was a, is back to being a big thing last summer, right? Um, because you have mosquito season lasting longer. You have the weather being damper. Then you look at, well, where do we get our food from? Many of us think it's just the grocery store. Well, the grocery store has to get that food from somewhere. Farms. Well, how do you have seasonal planting and how are you able to get food when you can't rely 
on the precipitation levels. You can't rely on weather conditions, on soil conditions, on water conditions, on any of that. So then you talk about the price of food rising, right? Because the areas in which we were able to grow that food are now ravaged by regular climate disasters, whether it be fires, whether it be floods, whether it be droughts. And that's how you create climate refugees. And if we think that that is not going to happen in the United States, it's already happening around the world. And what happens when food becomes scarce, right, is what? Violence becomes rampant. Because now we're no longer operating from anybody's abundance standpoint. Now we're operating from a scarcity model. And what happens when we all take on this scarcity, right? This scarcity ideology, which is what has taken over and consumed the Republican Party, is that we start fighting amongst each other. We start ravaging every person for themselves, right? This is how war, crime, all of these things become elevated and increased. So when we're talking about the climate crisis, it isn't just a crisis of changing weather or, oh, it's warmer in December and shouldn't we just enjoy it? It is what the ramifications of that warming will do across all of our needs. You know, when I listen and I see these families that are being interviewed right now on the news, and, you know, I think to myself how devastated I am for them, honestly, right? Because I cannot imagine. Um, I cannot imagine that everything that you have known just being wiped out within minutes, like, Folks, just think about this. The destruction that occurred across these states happened in minutes. Minutes. Right? Your whole life turned upside down. You don't know where you're getting food. You don't know where you're getting water. There's no electricity. You can't send your kids to school. And oh, by the way, we're still in a global health pandemic. So what do you think is going to be happening in these areas now following this outbreak of deadly tornadoes? A rise probably in hospitalizations due to COVID on top of the hospitalizations of those that were already harmed in the tornadoes. Folks, we are living in the midst of a perfect fucking nightmare right now where everywhere that you look, there is something that is going dramatically wrong. And we still don't seem to have the political will to do what is necessary. I mean, Joe Biden, the Biden administration right now is still going around selling back, build back better, which a part of it is about infrastructure and bracing infrastructure for our changing climate. Now, mind you, remember, Joe Manchin did not want to include that in the, in the infrastructure bill, right? You're talking about his state, which has also been ravaged by quote unquote natural disasters. But what kills me about these people that are being interviewed is that I bet if you were to do a poll to figure out where they 
fall on the political spectrum that a majority of them are fucking Republicans voting once again against their own interests. Wanting to chuck this up to saying, oh, you know, this is God. This is God's will. It is not. You know, I tweeted the other day too um, that I am so fucking tired of hearing thoughts and prayers. Every fucking disaster, whether it is the mass shooting in Oxford, Michigan, whether it is this, you know, spat of deadly tornadoes across the country, everything turns back to thoughts and prayers from politicians. And what I tweeted and said was this, I don't need your thoughts and prayers. If I wanted thoughts and prayers, I would go to a religious institution. As a politician, thoughts and prayers are not your fucking job. Policy is. But yet we allow them to get away with the idea that they can't change anything, that somehow their hands are tied. And I'm confused because I'm like, your hands are not tied. You actually have all of the power, but none of the will. Joe Biden this week is once again sitting down with Joe Manchin, who doesn't want to include dental into the human infrastructure bill. Meanwhile, people in West Virginia have no fucking teeth. And I don't say that as a joke. I mean, they have serious dental issues. How is it a man that is sailing around on a $700,000 yacht has the audacity to tell people, oh no, we're not going to cover these basic fucking needs. And when the government right? Is not actually acting as your safety net. That's when desperation begins to fall. That's the difference folks between democracies, which we are not democracies, right? And autocracies, kleptocracies, where only the rich, right? Are able to have dental and vision and healthcare and all of these things and everybody else be damned. And so if we, again, continue to erode our faith and integrity of these institutions that are supposed to be our social safety nets, then where do we end up? It is terrifying to think that we are a couple of weeks away from the end of this year. And I want to ask you guys right now and tell me in the comments section, what would you call 2021, when we're referring back to this year, you know, the year of this, you know, the golden age, the age of enlightenment, blah, 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 the year of bubble, the selfie, this thing, thing, what is, what characterizes, what are the themes that would characterize the year of 2021? I mean, everywhere that you look from the beginning the insurrection six days into the new year to deadly, aggressive climate change provoked tornadoes at the end of the year. And that all of the shit that happened in the middle, I mean, I will be doing a reflection show. So I'm, but I'm reflecting in this moment on all that has transpired. And frankly, you know, I, I know that this administration is up against a lot of attacks in the media. Um, Politico, which was, you know, bought out, I believe by the fucking Murdochs, 
um, has gone after uh, the vice president with such savagery. It is disgusting. I see that CNN has decided to lift up uh, former Trump administration officials and bring them on uh, their network. I just, folks, you know, it's like you don't face any consequences for doing bad. There's no responsibility to be had. You just, these people just continue to succeed, right? While the rest of us are left to scrape around. You know, there is a, there is a piece, um, that Charles Brillow wrote in the New York times. And I got to tell you, uh, it's really good. It's entitled, we're edging closer to civil war. And it begins like this. The Supreme court last Friday issued a decision allowing abortion providers in Texas to continue challenging a new law that bans most abortions in the state after about six weeks of pregnancy. But while the conservative majority didn't close the door on abortion in Texas completely, the degree to which it's cracked open allows in only a sliver of light. For now, the law in question, SB 8, remains on the books. Anyone who assists in providing an illegal abortion, from the provider down to the person who gives a woman a ride to the clinic, can still be sued. Roe v. Wade has essentially been overturned in the state, and soon that astonishing reality may not only become permanent there, but may also spread to other states. A key component of women's rights and body autonomy is being snatched away as we watch. In a dissent last week, Justice Sonia Sotomayor wrote this, This is a brazen challenge to our federal structure. It echoes the philosophy of John C. Calhoun, a virulent, a virulent defender of the slaveholding South who insisted that states had the right to veto or nullify any federal law which they disagreed. I found the invocation of South Carolina's Calhoun striking, Charles Blow writes for the Times. Yes, he was a strong believer in nullification, the idea that states could nullify federal laws, but he was also a raging racist who went further than the slave owners who saw slavery as a necessary evil, seeing it instead as a positive good. This is what Calhoun wrote in 1837. He gave a speech, I'm sorry, he gave a speech on the Senate floor that slavery, quote, had grown up with our society and institutions and is so interwoven with them that to destroy it, to destroy slavery, would be to destroy us as a people. This is what he said. And I want you folks to listen to this because, again, <laughs> the attack on facts, history, truth, the truth of our founding, the purpose of which is to have us continue to repeat the same cycles of white supremacy and terror over and over and over again. It is to have us believe that this has always been the way, right? And that how dare any of us challenge an institution that would have someone like a Calhoun say there is no way for us to give up holding slaves, torturing, beating, raping, murdering, lynching, 
these enslaved Africans because it's just too part of who we are. And it's for the greater good, the greater white good. What Blow will go on to say in this piece are the parallels between Calhoun's sensibility, which is what Sonia, Justice Sonia Sotomayor had said in her dissent, and to this new wave of the white supremacist domestic terror party that we see morphing bigger and bigger in front of us, much in the same way as the tornadoes did across the Midwest, destroying everything and anything in its path. Calhoun said this in his floor speech, but let me not be misunderstood as admitting even by implication that the existing relations between the two races in the slaveholding states is an evil. Far otherwise. I hold it to be a good, as it has thus far proved itself to be both and will continue to prove so, if not disturbed, by the fell spirit of abolition. I appeal to facts. Never before has the black race of Central Africa, from the dawn of history to the present day, attained a condition so civilized and so improved, not only physically, but morally and intellectually. You ripped poets, engineers, farmers, caregivers, tribe leaders, people from their homes. You had the audacity to place your Eurocentric white supremacist lens to look at their experience, their lives as what? Savagery? But you don't think the beating, the brutalization, the rape and the bondage and captivity that you would place enslaved Africans in for hundreds of years, you deem that as a necessary good and not an evil, it is with that lens, it is with that lens that white supremacists have been able to justify everything that they do. And it is with that lens, right, that we continue to allow the media to create a narrative around communities of color, around the black community in particular, that all comes from this way of thinking. Oh, you see, they're better off in bondage because left to their own devices. What would they do? This, this paternalistic, white patriarchal mess that America is and has always been. And we don't just feel, right, the, the, the sentiments, the residue of this now. It's still in deeply in practice. But to not understand that history, to not understand the Calhoun sensibility that is now occupying the Republican Party and their belief, they're taking their belief of states' rights to supersede that of the federal government. So if the Supreme Court is now in cahoots with these Republican state governors, right, who are in cahoots with Republicans at the national level. To create a patchwork, it is no longer the United States, right? It is the disheveled states of America where you can get an abortion in California and New York and that's it, right? 
So what else do you think that they're going to be able to institute, allow states to decide what it is that they choose to cherry pick from the constitution, what they choose to cherry pick, right? From federal statutes and law that no longer sit well with them. Charles Blow goes on to write this. In Calhoun's view, the states had the right to control and oppress black bodies as they saw fit, regardless of any actions to the contrary on the federal level. States, he felt, should be able to choose whether or not they wanted slavery. I see too many uneasy parallels between what is happening nearly 200 years ago and what is happening now. I see this country on the verge of another civil war as the Calhounian impulse is reborn. There are enormous obvious differences, of course. The civil war I see is not the kind that would leave hundreds of thousands of young men dead in combat. That is not to say that we, weren't, that we aren't seeing spats of violence, but rather that this new war will be fought in courts, state houses, and ballot boxes rather than in the fields. And this war won't be only about the subjugation of black people, but also about the subjugation of all who challenge the white racist patriarchy. It will seek to push back against all others, he writes, black people, immigrants, Muslims, Jews, LGBTQ people, and yes, women, particularly liberal ones. You see, I disagree with Charles Blow on one account. I do think that we are going to see thousands dead. I do think that we are going to see an escalation of violence in our streets. I think that the decision in the Rittenhouse case made that all but certain. That white vigilantism will become the norm. That you will be allowed to roam around with your AR-15 slung over your shoulder or your 9mm gun stuck into your jeans and be able to stand your ground so long as you are white and male and straight wherever the fuck you want. So what does that say for the safety of the rest of us? Because remind you, and we've talked about this with our friend, Dr. Jonathan Metzl, there is a court case that has the ability to throw out a hundred year old law in New York that makes it illegal for you to carry assault weapons. And it is going and is being heard at the Supreme Court. This comes on the heels, folks, of a 15-year-old being able to just pull out a draw in his parents' house, take a 9mm gun, and go shoot off 20 rounds, killing four of his classmates. This will be the first case where parents are actually charged for their fucking reckless negligence. For four counts of manslaughter each. And I think, in all honesty, if convicted, that that may in fact be the turning point in the gun rights argument in this country. Because if parents, much in the same way that we have been locking up black and brown parents for their children's truancy, because that's who gets locked up, by the way. It is black and brown parents because we love to pathologize them, right? 
for their ill parenting. But not all of these white motherfuckers like Lauren Boebert, who posed with her four boys with assault rifles in front of a fucking Christmas tree. You have got to be kidding me. But shit like that, we think it's normal, right? That's not endangering the welfare of a child. That doesn't, that doesn't require child protective services. We think that that shit is okay. But we will throw black and brown parents in jail for the bare minimum, you know, having to work multiple jobs and just so that they can put food on the table. And then their kids skip school for a number of reasons, right? And we're fining them and throwing them in jail. But you can pose with your kids or amp them up and tell them, ha, 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 don't get caught next time when you're scrolling for ammunition in your fucking high school class. But those white, quote unquote, conservative parents are able to seem normal when they are anything but. So I disagree with Charles in terms of we won't see hundreds of thousands of bodies because let me tell you something. I didn't think I'd see a global health pandemic in my lifetime. I didn't think I would witness a police officer squeeze the fucking life out of a man in broad daylight captured on a myriad of recorded phones. I didn't think that in the 21st century that a black man couldn't go jogging down the street without being lynched. I didn't think that we would see the rollback of Roe v. Wade. But yet here the fuck we are. So let us not presume that this next iteration of a civil war is going to be one that is going to be quote unquote civilized and fought within the ballot boxes and within the courts, that it's going to be a paper battle and a verbal battle. These people are ripe and ready for fucking war and they tell us every day. And we still don't believe them. I didn't think that I would see smoke billowing out of the Capitol building with thousands of enraged white people building a fucking guillotine in the 21st century, calling for the hanging of the vice president of the United States. And we are coming up, folks, on the year anniversary of that national nightmare. And yet, but a handful of motherfuckers are in jail and not the donors, not the Trumps, not the Giuliani's, not the masterminds that orchestrated it. We're still filing paperwork around that a year later. <sighs> Everyone needs to have their eyes wide open to every battle that we are facing right now, all of which are man-made. From the climate crisis, to the rise in hate, to the disintegration of our democracy, all of it has been done at the hands of greedy, white, conservative, cisgender men, helped along by their handmaids. That's the fucking truth. That's the truth that you're not going to get on cable news because they want to pontificate 
about who is to cause, who is to blame. Is it climate change that caused the tornadoes? Is it white rage and the pushback against the Obama administration and the fact that the demographics are changing that caused the election of Donald Trump? Did Donald Trump cause the insurrection? Did he knowingly spread the coronavirus, right? And you weaponize it? Let's think about it. Let's pontificate. Let's build ratings around it instead of telling the fucking truth. If there's any group that needs to be pathologized right now, it is white folks. And I say that very real. We have no problem talking about every other group as a community. What do Latinx people think? What do black people think? And what about the Muslims? Right? But we don't dare talk about the legacy of violence, right? And terrorism within the white community. We don't dare talk about why you are seeing this pushback and why we all wait with bated breath for the return of guilty verdicts that we know will never come because there's never been accountable. When have you ever seen a wealthy white man hold another wealthy white man accountable for, for shit? Give me a fucking break. Do you know which was probably one of the most bipartisan, the most collegial spaces that you'd ever seen? Probably Jeffrey Epstein's fucking private island. Because they all have that disgust, that greed, that cruelty, that viciousness in common. But we don't interrogate that truth. We say, oh no, they're individuals. Oh no, it was a lone wolf. Oh no, it was a siloed event. Oh, it was an act of nature. Should have called that fucking tornado that tore through Kentucky. You might as well call it McConnell. Because he's been devastating families across this country in his own state and across the country. We should call the tornadoes the Republicans, right? The GOP, the GOP's climate disaster. But of course we won't do that because you know we don't want to play politics, but it's totally fine with the radical right to do so. It is time, it is past time that we begin to find ways to fight fire with fire. Because if you think that what Charles Blow is writing about isn't going to transpire, you're not paying attention. I want us to suspend the reality that we've been living in, because one, we're never going back to that. And two, right? At this point, anything can fucking happen. Literally, anything. He ends with this in his piece, We're Edging Closer to Civil War. In some ways, the abortion battle now being waged in the courts is a test case. Can the states make an argument that a civil right can be reversed on the state level? Can they make the case that all that the Constitution has not explicitly spelled out should be reversed for the states? The Constitution has been silent on quite a bit since it was written in 1787. And the last time it was amended was nearly 30 years ago in 1992 when the states ratified the 27th Amendment. When did Congress first approve that amendment? In 1789. 
Having not gotten enough states to ratify it after passage, it simply languished for 200 years. All of us should be very worried about what we see happening with these abortion cases. Not just women who might need abortions or relatives and friends of women who might need them. We should worry about whether or not we are at an inflection point for an age of aggression. And that's right, folks. The age of aggression. The age of aggression and darkness and hate. It's hard to think back to the election of Barack Obama. It's hard to even think about the term post-racial and how America wanted to pat itself on the back. Look at us giving this black man an opportunity after, you know, we murdered so many viciously. After we burned down their towns and cities and killed their leaders and bishops and preachers and bombed their schools and their churches. We are headed toward an age of violence. And what scares me the most is that there were so many active and former military and police officers that were part of the insurrection that believed that it was their duty to go out into the streets for Donald Trump, to beat police officers their own, their own, right? And I think about the setup that is taking place right now. Over 400 voter suppression bills. Hundreds of electioneering bills. They are gearing up to take over forever. 2022, the midterm elections will be their warm-up. Let us see what sticks and what doesn't. On top of, you know, the redistricting that is happening, that is forcing Democrats to lose seats and increasing the stronghold of white neighborhoods and whiteness. But our refusal to call a spade a spade, our refusal to have conversations that are rooted in truth about who is to blame and who is to have a finger pointed at them and who we should be building strategy and a plan around instead of trying to, you know, go and get the Karens, right, to come and vote with us, to go and get these people that have been so aggrieved by the Democratic Party that they fled to Donald Trump like we think that these motherfuckers are coming back. They're not. They haven't been back since the 1950s. But the reality is, is that if we don't create strategies to protect ourselves against their resurgence, we are going to be caught completely 
off guard by what they are planning and they are doing it in broad fucking daylight. Can you think about the boldness to put together a PowerPoint presentation to overthrow the fucking government and that motherfucker is not in jail? Can you think about Lauren Boebert posing with her kids and automatic rifles and what that would look like if it was Ilhan Omar in the same pose with her kids? We are so fucking unbalanced in this country. We have teacher that the, the, we have teachers, right? In a viral video from South Dakota that were competing on the ground, scraping for dollar bills so that they can buy school supplies. They turned it into essentially the fucking teacher's hunger games. And posted it on social media as if, look at this fun activity. And you don't think that there's anything wrong with a country that would have teachers begging and scrounging for dollar bills to support our nation's children, to support our fucking future. But we're out here putting billionaires like Elon Musk, these fucking narcissists on the cover of magazines and applauding them. But we think that teachers should have to beg. You think that the Hunger Games and these movies and Black Mirror, like these were just shows? We are living in it. And it's happening so fast. It's so fucking unsettling. This week, America has hit a new record. Over 800,000 Americans have died from COVID-19. And still 25% of the population won't get vaccinated. Over 800,000 is more than the population of Washington, D.C. And many fucking states like the North Dakotas and the South Dakotas. It is wild where we are. And yet we want to talk about some infighting within the administration and whether or not Joe Biden likes Kamala Harris or, you know, lauding attacks when literally everything around us is crumbling. Where are our values? Where is our sense of urgency? And I'm afraid by the time that we find it and answer those questions, it will be too late. That is it for me today, folks, on Woke AF. As always, power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets 
and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right. 